This is episode number 133 with Kristen Dihez from Mars Wrigley. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. The Mars Wrigley segment of Mars Corporation produces products in more than 125 locations around the globe. Mars makes 1 billion M&Ms a day, 250,000 pieces of gum a minute, 16 million Skittles an hour, and delivers 1.6 million cases a day. I'm excited to welcome Kristen Dihez, VP Global Supply Chain of Mars Wrigley, to find out some of the work they're doing behind the scenes to support such a huge operation including their digital lighthouse pilot, which is well underway at their Illinois factory. Kristen tells us the impressive details and outcomes of their digital twin implementation, some of the challenges she faced along the way, and her key learnings from the whole experience. Now, Kristen has spent over 20 years with consumer packaged goods and food and beverage companies, including Procter & Gamble, Unilever, and Wrigley Mars, and she has a breadth of experience in supply chain strategy, transformation, innovation, supply chain planning and engineering roles. So I am very much looking forward to this discussion. Let's get started. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here on Transform Talks. Thank you for having me. So I've got a lot of questions for you. We're going to, you know, I want to pick your brain about digital transformation. I want to pick your brain about uh, a lot of different things. Um, But I think let's get started with a question about supply chain and this industry. How did you get into it? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I started out my career um, after getting an undergrad in electrical engineering working for Procter & Gamble. Um, right. Interestingly enough, installing new capacity um, to produce uh, toilet paper and paper towels wow. in the industry. <laughs> so I was a part of the, um, the capacity boom every time they needed to build a new factory or expand a site. It got me thinking a lot about how do you how do you make those decisions? When yeah. do you expand? When do you build? Where do you build? And that really uh, led me more into the broader supply chain planning space and uh, and network design and optimization. And I've got to say, I mean, I bet you couldn't forecast this, you know, years ago. You know, see what I did there—a little bit of a pun, but <laughs> uh, you couldn't have forecast this years ago that how big supply chain would be, how mainstream supply chain would be, and how the need for planning would be so enormous, right? Oh gosh, that's right. I mean, I'll tell you, even um, you know, it's it's maybe a little bit sad, but it's it's uh, it's funny right now with my family. Um, now we have conversations over the phone, and they're like, "Oh, I get what you do." <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It was I I was watching the news the other day, and every time they say supply chain, my dad will you know he's eighty six. He goes, "See supply chain. See wow, you're really into a really important area right now." I'm thinking it was always important. Thank you very much. Uh, but I think now everyone is caught up. So. You got into supply chain from electrical engineering. I bet you that gives you a bit of a different viewpoint and perspective on on things Um, and about factories and where you build them, what have you. What's going on in your world? Maybe you talk to us a little bit about what's going on in your world right now. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'll say now I'm, I'm at Mars. I'm running the global supply chain for their Mars Wrigley um, segment within the organization. And we've been embarking on a pretty significant digital transformation within the organization. And if I just reflect on the last two years, if anything, I would say that this pandemic has actually allowed us to really double down and accelerate on some really? of the investments um, that you, we needed you, to take. 
you know, I was going to say that a lot of people were worried at the start of the pandemic, whether or not this was going to just sort of stall all investments mm-hmm. because we went into crisis mode. So it's refreshing to hear that you've actually accelerated it. So oh, needs yeah. must though, needs must, right? Absolutely. Because I think in some cases, there's some test and learn and experiment on figuring out what's the art of the possible. But yeah. in a lot of cases, I think what it's allowed us to see is at every angle, internally and externally, there are different forces at play that are mm-hmm. driving us to be a lot more um, resilient. Um, yeah. the, the pace and the extent of the disruptions that we're dealing with, if anything, I think aren't going away, but we need to be able to be better about how we sense and then mm-hmm. respond to those situations. So it's really, I think, in any cases where there was a doubt about where we should be making investment, it's really helped us, I think, um, drive a lot more speed teaming with our business partners to show how we might be able to evolve to better support um, the business trajectory plans for the future. I think we've said it before. Well, I know I've said it before on this show, which is there is no question as to whether or not you need to invest in digital transformation technology, really. I mean, this these past few years have told us, have taught us really that if you don't have that resilience built into your business, uh, then you're going to struggle, aren't you? So talk to us a little bit about some of the projects you've got going on, because I know that you've been doing something with the digital lighthouse pilot uh, at a factory in Illinois. Do you want to yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll talk about that a bit. Um, we've got a, a, a digital um, lighthouse pilot underway at the site. And the, the real idea here is we want to be able to find an area where we could focus our innovation efforts, mm-hmm. really develop and test and learn in some spaces where it really matters. And some of the portfolio products that we produce in the site have short runs. Um, they've got long changeovers. And so if there's anywhere where there's a pragmatic space to really innovate, where you can have um, a a great impact, it's this site. And so one of the things that we've been focusing on it, it is exploring um, digital twin technology. Um, So this is one of the first sites where we've actually um, brought to life an initial use case uh, to test and learn and explore what the possibility for digital twin technology could do for us as an organization. And with where we've gone on that journey, we've continued to now look at how we can scale our learnings um, for greater impact across the broader enterprise. So obviously for a big corporation, big organization, you can't just change in one go, okay, can you? You can't just all of a sudden implement digital lighthouse technology or digital twin technology across the, the board. So choosing a site is actually, you know, to prototype something, doing something in a small scale is, is the way to go. W- what have you learned? What have you picked up? Uh, You know, I I think one of the most significant learnings that I had was just really being very pragmatic and leading with problem solving versus technology. I think it's really um, easy to get wrapped up in shiny object syndrome and, you know, three other companies have invested in this. Therefore, what must we be missing? You know, it's not leading through that lens, but it's more about what's a fundamental problem that I'm trying to solve? And is there a very pragmatic way to be able to leverage technology and new evolutions in technology in the market um, to be able to solve that problem in a better way than we might've tackled it in the past? And so if I, if I give you an example, for example, um, you know, through the digital twin space, um, one of the problems that we had within the site was we were producing Skittles products and you put Skittles in little bags. And, um, you know, if I keep it simple, one of the business problems we had was sometimes our bags got too full. <laughs> we were, um, and, and that would result in giving away free product to our customers, which wasn't really a, a viable kind of longer term proposition for the organization. And so we really looked at taking a step back to say, is there an opportunity to start small, very focused, 
um, and explore whether the use of digital twin technology could help us be able to more systemically reduce product giveaway within our Skittles bags that were made on our packaging lines. And did it work? It did. It was amazing. I mean, it's been a really incredible journey. And I'll actually tell you, there's, if I think about some of the key outcomes, there's two things um, that I think were very astonishing. Um, first of all, in terms of the broader size of the prize, I'll tell you that just within that first line alone, where we were doing some discovery, um, we were able to reduce about 80% of the product giveaway um, at wow. any given time that was coming off the lines in that factory. And so you can imagine from a value creation you know, perspective that really adds up. But the second outcome that I think was even more revealing for us was as we got into baselining what we thought was happening and mm -hmm. we let the data tell us a story, we realized that the size of the prize, the magnitude of the product giveaway was more than double what we actually had originally anticipated. And so I think it was real eye-opening for us in learning how to embrace letting the data tell us a story um, versus leading in with what our, our human bias might tell us. Um, but there's a very good kind of complementary opportunity to leverage technology to help us be better. Well, that was that's a, that's a really interesting way to look at things. I mean, the human bias element, the fact that uh, uh, you had these big surprises that are coming to you. Um, now, what I can't get my head around is the fact that, it, you know, a lot of companies I talk to when they embark upon digital transformation, they uncover a lot of things that they didn't know before. Um, and so I wonder if it's something that is down to difficult processes that people have within their business, or maybe you talk about data, maybe not paying attention to data. Do you think that this exercise, I mean, clearly you've demonstrated this exercise has yielded uh, very big wins for your organization. Do, do you think that there will be others? There'll be other things that you can do, other elements that perhaps you haven't uncovered, other efficiency gains? Without a doubt. You know, I, I think one of the things that helps us realize is there are a lot of hidden patterns in the data that yeah. if we really let the if we let the data tell us a story there could be a lot of signature patterns that are out there that could um, be more available to us um, to help uh, help make us understand where there are broader opportunities to go after um, so for example you know today even in more of the logistics side um, we get hit with fines and fees penalties from our customers if we deliver our product late um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons why we might deliver late and so there's a lot of areas where we could explore how the data can tell us a story about the pattern when we're more likely to um, hit late deliveries and if we can understand that and get on the leading end of that um, we can really understand how to leverage leading indicators it helps us be a lot more responsive in looking at intervening action that we could take to be a lot more reliable um, and take action to improve the situation. How is this kind of new way of working um, changed perhaps your executives um, modus operandi and therefore their, um, their own team's modus operandi? I, you know, it's, it's interesting, I'll, I'll say, um, you know, it's, it's a big journey that we've been on in the organization and, and we're still in the learning curve. Um, but one of the biggest changes that I've seen is, you know, typically I would, I think from like a program or project perspective, right? You know, a lot of times people will want to make an ask for something mm -hmm. and then it's right. What resources do I need? And just go get it done. Um, but I think in the space that we're embarking on right now, we don't always know what's the art of the possible 
So you don't know how to build hard requirements, throw it over the wall and have somebody build it. You know, mm -hmm. we really need to be open in some cases to saying, right, let's make some investments, but let's look at how to frame it so that we're making a minimal investment. We're testing and learning early and we're learning. So we create the space to be able to fail fast in mm -hmm. some cases to, to stem our losses, if you will, um, but also be open to the possibility that we might get into some discovery areas that help open up completely new possibilities of what we could go build and enable that we would never have thought about early on in our journey. It's just really creating that space for the iteration mm -hmm. um, of the art of the possible, which can make some people, I think, feel threatened. You know, if I don't know what to ask for in the beginning, I don't know what I don't know, and that's not okay as a senior yeah. leader. Um, it's making that be okay and actually um, building out that discovery muscle to say, let's go um, identify and explore and get creative on, on what could be and identify and test out some interesting hypotheses. I love that. I love the idea of building out a discovery muscle. I like to call it sort of the curiosity gene. You know, yeah. you need to have that sort of semblance of curiosity of why? Why is this happening? What, what is the data telling me? What is, um, you know, what, what can, what more can we do? Like you say, the art of the possible. So do you think that there's been a mindset shift as well, along with your digital technology investment, some sort of cultural shift too? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, and, and, and one of them is even, um, you know, it's this, this awareness that, um, the more we can connect across the organization to really get stronger about understanding why certain things are happening, really getting at the root cause of it, um, can help us more collectively together drive value creation in a teeming way. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, I, I think sometimes we can we can um, compartmentalize in buckets something that we can go after for continuous improvement in a silo of the organization. Yeah. And undoubtedly, we're always going to have, and every organization is going to have opportunities to go after that. But I almost, I would like thinking about it as there's a much greater value unlock the more that we could break down those silos and um, connect the unconnected to bring to life real rich um use cases yeah. that help solve meaningful problems that challenge the context of what we've always thought about how the organization operates. Yeah, that, which is what I was hinting, you know, talking about, which is the, the this mindset or paradigm shift within your executive leadership down all the way to below to, to actually be able to think differently, you know, because yes. a lot of companies are sitting on a lot of data, you know, that's 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 the the, the shame of it, right? So a lot of companies are sitting on a lot of data that then when it is uncovered through technology, um, they, they they have an aha moment or, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe that I didn't look at this. So um, what do you think are the biggest inhibitors to digital transformation change within a business? Um, so I, th I think there's, if, if I just reflect on our own challenges, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that I'd call out. One challenge that I think wouldn't be unique to us is if you have a high volume of data, but it's not a high quality of data, yeah. um, you could put together solutions that help you make uh, faster, bad decisions. <laughs> so obviously, you know, one of our key challenges was really working hard to clean the data that we have um, and make sure that if we have some, um, you know, policy settings, parameters in our systems that we're using, are we maintaining those um, so that we really are, um, we're business contextualizing the data 
um, that yeah. we would be able to leverage as we pull it out of our system. So, you know, I think really being able to understand the data and work with quality data is important. Um, a second thing I'll just mention, though, is the change management journey. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, inherently, as I, I think about some of the challenges that we faced within this, um, this digital lighthouse pilot um, site, in a lot of cases, we were leveraging technology to help surface some recommendations of actions that we could take in the organization that we might not ordinarily do. Um, now, you can automate some of that. For us, I think it was a learning journey where we said, don't just automate everything. You know, we want to have the recommendation and really work through what does that mean for us? And I think it provided a lot of really good learning moments because in many cases, an algorithm could recommend a course of action that an operator might normally think, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, this, this is what I think. I'm going to go take a different action. Um, and so it, I think it presented us the opportunity to be smart about giving people the space to have those learning moments to mm -hmm. not trust the algorithms and make some mistakes because it helped um, drive adoption and go through this, um, I don't know, building trust journey. If acceptance, you this acceptance exactly. journey. Yeah, exactly. And it's not meant to automate people. It's meant to say, you know, augment and algorithms augment and help us make even better decisions every day. But I liked what you said about business contextualizing some of the data, because obviously there is a lot of data. And sometimes you look at this data in, in, in a silo and you think, okay, well, the data is telling me one thing, but then that's missing the overall objective of the business, the commerciality, the, the reality that that's what, which is what the senior executives sit up here and say, well, this is how I interpret this. Um, so I really like the idea of business contextualizing that, which is why, you know, when you hear about the debate between artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera, they're taking our jobs. Well, not really, because you still need people up here to contextualize things, right? To, right. to actually apply it to the fundamental principles of business, which is mm -hmm. what we still need to do, you know? Um, right. Can I circle back a little bit now to some of the technology? What technology excites you about the future? You know, what technology have you seen that you thought, wow, this is, this is amazing, the, the possibilities are endless? Yeah, oh my gosh, there's so many different things. You know, I'll say, um, you know, what, so, I'll stay on digital twin for a moment. Um, you know, there a lot of times when people talk about digital twin technology, they're thinking about within the four walls of a factory. Yeah. And that's yeah. absolutely true. And there's so much value there. But I'd say I get even more excited about the expansiveness of digital twin technology across the integrated supply chain. Um, you know, especially as we think about what's happening within this pandemic environment, right? Yeah. If my global ocean um, trade situation is going to stay as it is, and I've got some lead times that are tripling from what I'm used to, what would need to be true um, for and how I need to alter how I'm operating my business yeah. to make sure that I'm not disrupting my consumers and make sure that we get product on the shelf or online, depending on how somebody wants to buy. Um, so I get excited about digital twin technology just from its sheer expansiveness and even yeah. being able to really understand the integrated business processes um, and, and um, what we would need to do to be able to better um, adapt to the changes that we're faced with in our macro environment. If you could go back and do it again, is there yeah. anything that you do differently and, and why? Um, so I think um, it's a really interesting question. And I, there, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one thing that I would do um, 
I think we would build a deep ecosystem of partners to help support us on that journey. And I would say we've been leveraging partners all along this journey and they've been instrumental in our success. But if I had to go back again and do it over, um, sometimes I think we, we focus a lot on who's that one partner that can do everything for us, the jack of all trades. And, and um, sometimes we do ourselves and our partners a disservice by thinking that way. So, you know, I think it'd be being more open to looking at building a collection of the right partners in Mm -hmm. our ecosystem so that we could set everybody up to thrive and really leverage each one of them for the, um, the, the strength and the, um, the differentiation that they offer within that space. Um, not feeling pressured to over promise, if you will. I get that. And I think also given the way that the world is at the moment with so much uh, complexity and so much disruption, right? You kind of need to have a great deal of visibility on options around all of your partners globally, right? right? So so I think that's really important. I know that you guys are very much concerned with sustainable business and you've got a sustainability plan uh, you know, that talks about three areas. What, walk me through some of the, those things and how doing this will help you. Yeah. Well, um, one of the, one of the things, so, um, I used to work for Mars years ago and then I left, um, I actually rejoined. Um, and so it's fascinating. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I rejoined was because I was so excited about, um, the sustainability agenda and the mission driven kind of purpose of the organization. And so if I think about sustainability at Mars, um, one of the things that we say is, um, we believe that the world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. And mm-hmm. so if I kind of take a step back and, and look at what does that mean from a sustainable and a generation plan, um, you know, there's, there's three elements to the sustainability agenda that resonate for me, healthy planet, thriving people, and nourishing well-being. Um, from a healthy planet perspective, I get really excited about what some new technology can enable us to do as we think about embarking on um, expanding our use of renewable energy across our supply chain, um, really getting smart about how to continue to reduce carbon emissions across the organization, including that leg three um, with our customers, um, working to eliminate deforestation. Um, you know, if I even think about our farmers um, and how they operate, they're instrumental in our supply chain. How can we help them cut water use while increasing crop yield? Um, so there's so many different areas where I think there's an opportunity to look at leveraging technology to support this kind of healthy planet end of our um, sustainability agenda. Um, in terms of, um, you know, thriving people, um, you know, that's a, another layer that's been important and even looking at, you know, how, how can we increase farmers' incomes? Um, and again, I think a lot of this can relate to that, um, you know, the different ways we could help equip them to better increase yeah. crop yields. Um, yeah. Uh, I get excited about women's empowerment. There's so much that we're doing to help support um, boosting entrepreneurial skills for women um, that are a instrumental part of our supply chain engaged in the cocoa and mint supply chains. Um, mm-hmm. And how can we better support them to get more out of their investments? Um, and then the, the third leg, kind of nourishing well-being. Um, there's a lot that we're doing in terms of looking at how to leverage technology to be able to provide more transparent um, information to our consumers about what's in our products. But even beyond that, um, I get excited about how we're leveraging technology more from our associate workforce um, to look at how to create a more healthy and energizing um, work environment for them where they come and, and work together every day. 
well, it sounds like you're doing exciting things. So that that alone, I mean, is is exciting for anybody to enter the space of working in a business that is so forward thinking, right? You know, is there anything that you any advice that you would give to our listeners in terms of um, embarking on a journey like this? Yeah, I think um, you know, I'll say one of one of the key learnings I've had is. Um, success in this kind of a transformation, it really depends a lot on building entirely new digital literacy in the organizations. We talked about that discovery muscle and um, creative use case ideation. There's a lot of things like that, that really just, it's experiential. You you need to go through the journey and learn. And so as I think through that lens, um, one of the recommendations I would make is to really look at how to um, tap people throughout all areas of the organization to be a part of that journey from the very beginning, to help bring everyone along along in understanding um, what's required to upskill the organization to really drive um, forward momentum and and stick with the adoption. Um, You had pointed out earlier. I like what you did there, making people, you know, allowing them to fail, allowing them to go through the process, you know, and uh, adoption is a huge issue. We could run an entire podcast on adoption issues. (laughs) digital transformation because I don't know I'm sure you've been there I've been there where you spend a lot of money on software and technology you bring it into the business and it fails and it just sits there Uh, and and usually that's down to adoption that's down to an adoption issue so I really liked what you said there uh, about allowing them to go through the motions I mean it comes back like we could drive whatever technology enhancements we want but at the end of the day it's about people and for people And they've got to be a part of that change agenda. Otherwise, you know, I read a lot about companies that are investing a ton in their digital journey and they're not getting the return. You know, it really, it's about how to get people to come along that journey with them, um, really upskill and and drive adoption and really understand what's the art of the possible and get excited about being a part of that journey. To be honest, it's probably one of the biggest problems. It's one of the reasons why, uh, well, you know, I don't think we need to speculate. It pretty much is the reason why a lot of these technological advancements and digital transformations fail. But anyway, that's a separate conversation that we will have on another podcast, no doubt. Um, Kristen, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for taking the time to share your ideas. And I am really excited about going out to the store now. I'm going to buy several Skittles bags to see whether or not there's more in one bag. And I will let you know, but it's, you know, I'm very excited about what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Maria. Take care. For those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.